Well, today's one of those days we are going to consider something that every know, everyone knows something about, but very few of us know much about. It's something we talk about all the time. Uh, as soon as I say what we're going to talk about, you might have a tendency to just go ahead and shut me off. Hopefully you haven't already, because it's something we all Maybe not all, but a lot of us think we're already experts on it. Our culture's already helped us. And yet when it comes to understanding, when it comes to doing, very, very few of us uh, understand much and do it very well. This morning we're going to be talking about love. It's what we need. It's what we need to do. It's easy to understand. It's anything but new, but it doesn't come naturally. And First John talks about love all over the place. Forty-sometimes even the word is used in First John. We're studying First John. So it's love, 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 love all over the place. But apparently these early Christians didn't have it all sorted out because they needed a lot of learning. And I would suggest to my own heart and to yours, we probably don't have it very figured out either. And maybe you're far along in your Christian maturity, and that's awesome. Praise God for that. But certainly there's room for growth because we won't be like Christ until we see Him. And so I think there's good reason to study First John today. What we're going to do this morning is look at verses 7 to 21, if we can do that. I'm going to go fast, if I can do that. The reason we're going to try to do 7 to 21 of chapter 4 is because it, the whole thing really is, is together talking about the same thing with a good amount of repetition. Um, if you need a sermon outline, uh, or excuse me, a sermon title because there wasn't one in the bulletin, uh, let's call this Love Because God Loves. Love Because God Loves. I wanted to call it um, Love to Love, but I think I've already used that sermon title in First John. Because it's all over the place. Remember, 1 John is a five-chapter letter at the end of the New Testament written by the Apostle John. That means he was with Jesus. He was given special authority from Jesus uh, to explain and help the early church. And a major, major stress point in 1 John is assurance that Christians who are trusting in Christ can have confidence They can know things that are true about Jesus and know things that are true about how God works and know things that are true about themselves as they would stand before God united to Christ. And just as it's controversial today to talk about assurance, it was controversial then. And we really need to own this and understand this. And if we can understand something about how God loves us and then how we, if we're new creatures in Christ, love other people... It should help us. It should help you. I want to help you with your confidence before God, your assurance before God, and I want to help you, and I want to help you so you can help other people. God wants us to know these things, and God wants us to act a certain way, and that even helps us to know things. I was thinking yesterday, okay, there's so many songs about love and so many, you know, I'm just looking for illustrations because I've got the text figured out and now it kind of needs a little bit of rest here and there. And uh, a lot of songs about love and I don't plan to sing any of them this morning. Um, 
other than to say it's something we talk a lot about. It's something that our culture talks a lot about. It's good and it's right and it's something we long for. We know that it's good and right, most of us, most of the time. And yet we need to learn a lot if we're going to understand God's love and then how God wants us to love and how it leads to our assurance. I couldn't find any songs about that. At least not in the top 100 most popular love songs. Okay, let's go ahead and jump in. No outline this morning. The outline just says, Pat, talk faster than you can. Um, But it's all about this matter of God loves you in Christ. Now, in light of God's love for you, you should love, because that's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. Here's a new commandment that I give to you, which wasn't new, but they have a new position in Christ. Love one another. It's what we're supposed to do. It's what we were supposed to do. We didn't do it, so we needed Jesus to atone for our sins. And so now that we're new creatures in Christ, we're supposed to do the right thing again. End of sermon. If you get that, you understand 1 John. Okay, here we go. Let's jump in with verse 7. Beloved. John writing to them using a love word. Beloved. I love you, he's saying. Beloved, let us, fellow believers, love one another. Let us do this because Jesus told us this, and I'm going to elaborate and unpack this. Oh, and by the way, in the context of false teachers who hate my guts, John could say, that should tell you something about them. Beloved, I love you. You love me. We should love one another because that's a Christian virtue. So why do you think those false teachers hate me so much? should give you a clue about their theology. It should give you a clue about their status before God. And it should give you a clue about who's on the right team. Don't want to read too much into it, but I do want to read that into it. I should give you a definition of love, but I'm using self-control not to. Why? Because we are going to read the ultimate greatest definition of love ever known to humanity in our text. But before we get there, for now, think love, the kind of love he's talking about. At least think in simple terms before we get to that awesome, awesome definition. For now, think if you're to love someone, you're to have, I'm going to be super lean on this, super basic. You're to have an appropriate relationship with them. You're to act appropriately toward them. Uh, Even if it means it costs you something. The reason I'm saying it that way is because I don't want to use the word sacrifice or I don't want to use the word um, deserving yet because before sin or anything we're called to love God and we wouldn't be sacrificing for Him. We would just be treating Him appropriately as the Creator, as the Sustainer. We're called to love God or God's called to love us and we don't, or excuse me, God does love us and we don't deserve it. So appropriate relationship, even if it costs you something, but it's how you should be relating to that other individual. We're supposed to love God. It's appropriate to do that as the Creator. God calls us to love one another. It's appropriate because fellow image bearers, right? They, 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 they deserve to be treated a certain way. It's, it's only right. Now we get into the sacrifice and we get into the cost and those things, but for now let's just keep it real, real basic. 
And now for reasons. So he tells us what we ought to do. We should love one another. That's just what we should be doing. If you want to live your Christian life, I can boil it down to love other, love other people. And here he's talking about Christians. But now reasons. How about verse 7? For, there's a reason, for love is from God. That's, that's big. So love comes from God. It's not a social construct that just works and we figured it out. And we eventually evolved to that point. No, love, because love is from God. And He's the Creator. And, and He's the one who speaks and tells us what to do. And He's the one that made us uh, in His image. And so we have fellow image bearers. And, and this just makes sense. Love, why? Because love is from God. Okay, especially if we say we're with God, which is what Christians do, it would just make sense that we would do this. By creation, by command. Restated and restored in Christ by example, but that gets us ahead of ourselves. How about verse 7 where it goes on to unpack the rationale why we should love one another? And whoever loves has been, I underline that because this is an assurance book, has been, that's something that's already accomplished, whoever loves has been, gives evidences of, born of God. Born of God. And knows, I underline that as well because it's a confidence assurance book, and knows God. This is super basic and super amazing and super confidence inspiring. Love, because love is from God. And not only that, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Think assurance. Think false prophets who were trying to rob them of their assurance. Think about yourself in this room. If you profess faith in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ and you love other Christians, not perfectly, we talked about that in chapter 1, whoever says they have no sin is a liar. But if you love other Christians, it's evidence that you are a Christian. It's meant to give you assurance. Think about that. I mean, a lot of people, even preachers, I mean, they, they're going to try to earn their living by robbing people of assurance. I'm going to try to earn my living by giving you assurance. <laughs> if it's appropriate and biblical, and in First John, John is belaboring in this. We know this, that this has happened. And you say, but if people have assurance, they're not going to do the right thing. That's exactly the opposite of how he's arguing. It's the exact opposite way of thinking biblically. The biblical way he's thinking is, tell them if they're trusting in Christ, God has accepted them. And if they have a love for other believers, give them assurance. And that will lead to them even growing more in doing the right thing. What brings us here together today? Well, because God says we shouldn't forsake the assembly. All right, that's right. But what, what unites us? It's not because we're all into the same sports. It's not because we all have the same hobbies. It's not because we all come from the same backgrounds. It's not because we get matching t-shirts and go on vacation together. I don't know why that's my favorite thing to say. 
It's not any of those things. It's not the color of our skin. It's not our socioeconomic background. It's not demographics. It's not any of those things, even though church growth gurus try to tell us that's the best way to build a church. I, we're different. We're unique. We have some similarities, some of us. That's why some of us hang out more together than others of us. But what's common is we have the same Savior, and that leads us to love one another amongst our differences. It's a great thing. It's meant to give you assurance. I love people who aren't like me. I mean, I want to push it a little bit because we do have different interests, hobbies. I love people who I don't like. And I don't mean that. Don't push that too far. But you see what I'm saying? We just tend to like people who like the things we like. And I love a lot of people here who don't like a lot of things I like. But our common interest is Christ Jesus, the Lord. And He has given Himself for us. And the Father has loved us. And the Son has loved us. And the triune God has loved us. And united us together with Him. And that's resulted in this supernatural new desire to love people who are not like you. It's awesome. So I, I want to actually stoke the, 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 the fire a bit and put some fuel on the fire and say, if you have a love for other Christians, it's a basis. It's not the only basis, but it is definitely a basis for you to have Christian assurance. Isn't that good? I hope it's good. If you're sitting there thinking, I hate all Christians, you shouldn't have assurance. But there really is something pretty amazing when you think about it. The people you love. I mean, I don't want to get all weird and start looking around the room and holding hands and stuff, but you probably think a lot of people in this room are pretty weird because they're not into all the same things you're into. But what takes the weirdness away is we trust in Jesus as our Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great Redeemer who redeems people from every tribe, nation, tongue. And you say, this is good. This is great. I love it. I love how bizarre it is. It's pretty bizarre when you think about it. But I like bizarre. It's a bizarre kind of assurance. I better get back to my notes. <laughs> There's a negative contrast in verse 8. Anyone who does not love, pretty strong language. Our context is fellow believers. Again, we could look elsewhere in the Bible. We're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love our enemies. But here it's one another. So anyone who does not love, fellow believers, according to context, does not, he uses that word again for confidence, know God. Because God is love. Knowing, relational, strong, close, right relationship. If you don't love other Christians, he's saying, this is pretty strong, you don't have a right relationship with God. It's like negative assurance. And then he says, because God is love. There's the definition. 
Now, there's more to it because he's going to unfold and unpack how God demonstrates his love. But now we have it, God is love. So regardless of what the top 100 hits of all time say about love, and some of them are pretty great songs and some of them aren't so great depending on your taste. But regardless, you want to define love? What's the ultimate background, the ultimate litmus, the ultimate point of comparison, the ultimate uh, informer? It's God. And you know where he's going to go. He's going to talk about God giving his son for people who don't deserve to have his son. That's, That's the ultimate in love. But if you don't love other Christians, you don't know God because God is love. It's what he's known for. It's what Christianity is about. The giving of His Son is an act of love. And we say we're Christians, so if you don't love other Christians and you you don't have somewhat of an imitation of God and the way He's loved you, you're not a Christian. Don't be confident. That's all. That's That's great motivation, though. God is love. Again, in our context, we're going to see he says this because of what God does. We, we can say such a great, amazing thing. Unrivaled, quintessential, defining. I say all that because I, I can remember hearing one very, very famous person. I, I won't mention the person's name, uh, but the person was interviewed. And do you believe in God? Do you not believe in God? Back and forth. Very critical of the God of the Bible. But I definitely believe in God. I believe in God, she said, because God is love. And if God is love, then love is God. It's not what 1 John is getting at. What 1 John is getting at, God is God. And He's shown the greatest demonstration of love ever imaginable, changes all of human history. He gives His one and only unique Son so that people who should be condemned can have eternal life. God is love. (laughs) God is love. That's what He's getting at, and that should lead us who say we belong to God, we say we know God. That's what a Christian is. We love because we belong to to the great one who... Loves like no one else loves. You can probably find the quotation online. Just search, love is God and Oprah. (laughs) America's theologian. Maybe not so much anymore, but she has been for sure. God is love. That should motivate me to love. And we're going to see what that looks like. How about verse 9? In this... So now we're, now we're down to specifics. It's not up for us to determine God is love, love is God. No, here we go. In this, the love of God. Oh, here we go. Demonstration was made manifest among us. Great language. Made clear, revealed for us to see in time and space and history. Among us, we've experienced this. Remember, John's an eyewitness that God sent His only, that is unique, Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You want to talk about love? The reason we say God is love is because He did that. There's nothing like that. 
It's so interesting to me that earlier in verse 7, he talked about whoever loves is born of God. And now in verse 9, so that we might live through Him. The borning, sorry, and the living, right? He, he's, he's, he's emphasizing the same reality, but He gives His Son so that we can have life. And how do we show that we have life? How do we show that we are born? We show that we have life by loving. So he's, he's connecting the pieces. God showed his love through sending his son. That would lead us to being born and having new life. And now we live through him. This is astonishing. The supremacy of God's love, but it can't stop yet or, or we won't really be gripped by the actual greatness. If, if you're gripped by the greatness of God's love, awesome. But there's more, okay? If you're not, just wait. Keep going. How about verse 10? In this is love. I love the definitiveness of that. In this is love. As in it defines love. Not, haha, here we go. Don't miss this. Not that we have loved God. That's how much of our culture tells us religion works and love works in Christianity even. No, 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 no. He's like, no, don't, don't, don't go there. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I love that and want you to love that and to know that and to understand that. Think with me about what he's getting at. Let's start at the end of verse 10. If you have sins, what do you deserve? It's not love. Sin is lawlessness. You deserve condemnation from God. We've already learned in 1 John. So if you have sins, you don't deserve love. And then we go back, propitiation for our sins. So atonement, well, that comes from what God does from Christ. We learned about that already in First John. And so we've got sins being atoned for, propitiated. God's just condemnation is satisfied. His wrath is satisfied. So there we go. Now let's keep going backward. He sent that son. He loved us and sent that son. Not that we've loved God. But this defines love. Hard to read backwards. I mean, step number one in, in one sense is to understand love is not you loving God. And if you could just love God enough, boy, maybe someday you could have a semblance of assurance. No. Human religion teaches that. Fallen, sinful minds come up with that. The apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ says, hold the presses. It ain't what we're talking about when we're talking about God's love. And by the way, that other perverted way of looking at it is not going to motivate you. Because you think you deserve things and that's why God loved you. That's going to be the, 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 the recipe for you to not love. No, no, here's how it works. Here's how it works. God loves us. Sinners who need atonement and forgiveness sends His Son. 
for people who are, let's use a different word, unlovely. People who are undeserving. That's love. I'm, I'm getting kind of exercised about this. I think when I grow up, I'm going to be a preacher. If I can be more effective talking quietly about it, I'll do that. Because if you want to get anything, you want to understand this. God loves when you are ungodly and undeserving of anything good. It doesn't get any more basic to Christianity than that. And, 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 and if you can have that permeate your heart, mind, and soul and the core of your being, then you're ready to love other people who are less than worthy. Like you. And so here, what John is doing is basically just preaching the gospel. <laughs> because that is going to lead to fueling the fire, to stoking the fire so that there can be motivation to love other sinners. That's what he's doing. Default mode for me is to extend or to to have to to. to to help you, to give you what you need, to show you the kind of respect that you should be shown as an image bearer, not to mention child of God, is to show that, to demonstrate that, to even sacrifice if you seem to deserve it. Right? That's default mode. I like to love lovely people. And people I deem worthy of my love, right? That's just how we are. And it's what we struggle with. And we're going to struggle with it next week. And the next week. And the next week. And the next week. Until we see Christ and we're made like Him. So he's showing them the gospel full bore because to the degree that we can own this, we can be like God, love is from God, and we can love people who don't deserve to be loved. I know this is super basic. But it's not your default mode. I forgot what theologian said. You, you didn't. You, no one had to be taught to be a Pelagian. If you don't know what a Pelagian is, it's okay. But some people come here because they like to learn new words. Pelagius was a heretic who said people are born good and are inherently good. Well, since the fall, and we are all perverted in our mindset, no one has to teach us to be Pelagians. I think I'm good and I know you're not because I see how you act. 
let's just say. And once you do good, then I will reward you with showing you love. Well, I've just, if, that, if that's how I think, I've just betrayed the real gospel, that Christ died for sinners. This could help your marriage if you're married, by the way. My wife Molly and I had a doozy of a fight not too long ago. She's not here, so I'm going to talk about her. It was all her fault. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm accountable. My kids are here. But, I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, what in the world just happened? I'll take the blame and say, I just went to my default mode, which is I'm Pelagian at heart. This changes the way we function as a church. I mean, I would be a multi-bazillionaire if I had a dollar for every time someone said, I'm taking my ball and going home because so-and-so didn't give me what I deserved, in effect. Well, welcome to the party. It's not an excuse. In fact, John is trying to argue that when we understand what God has done for us, it's actually going to help us to not have it be an excuse. It changes everything. We love unlovely people because we inherently are unlovely people when God loves us. All right, can we move on? I don't know how else to say it. But John does. (laughs) Here's a reiteration in verse 11. He's reiterating verse 7 in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Before we quickly move on, remember the ought. The ought is in the right place. It's so helpful to not be part of a different religion because you get the ought in the wrong place. So put the ought in the right place, right? Beloved, if God so loved us, step one, right? We also ought to love one another. Step two. In fact, let's even go back further. Erase all that. Step one, we ought. Am I right? We ought to love God and love neighbor. That's God's command. And we don't do what we ought. So, step two is, God loves us, sends His Son, who, by the way, did what we ought. Loves us. That's in verse 11. And step three is, now we have our ought reinstated. Because now we're born. And now we have life. He's used that kind of terminology. And He's going to get to, now we have the Spirit. So it was always the right thing that we didn't do. But so God loves us to solve the problem. And now we're back to doing the ought in a new kind of relationship. I love it. Why didn't somebody tell me this stuff a long time ago? Maybe they did. Maybe it was my fault. I just wasn't listening. Make no mistake about it. Christianity calls for morality. Morality here, it's called law brings condemnation. Morality, problem solved in Christ because of God's love. Morality, if you will, reinstituted as a result of what God has done. 
Let me just skip a ton of notes. How about that? Um, Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 32 says, we're to be forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Same thing applies. When I do that, usually I'm just trying to figure out what to edit. Hmm, now what do we do? Do you know that most counseling, not always, and I'm not, counsel, I'm not bashing counseling, or to admonish one another, it's a biblical reality. I think many times, how about, maybe not most. We want counseling not for ourselves, many times. We want counseling for the other person. Because if they could clean up their act, they might be worthy of our love. So, pastor, could you help me? Could you help me change them so they're now worthy of my devotion? Pastor, could you help them to be a better person so I could love them? That's bizarre. I would be guilty of it too. It's why we have to keep coming back to God loved us, gave His Son for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah. When the church was unlovely, He loved the church. Man changes everything. Jesus, I mean, if, if we really acted like this, if I really acted like this, it would be noticeable. And when it does happen, it is noticeable. I think it is noticeable in the life of this church in so many ways. Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. I'm trying to encourage you guys. I don't mean this is a bad thing. This is all too serious, maybe. We need to act the right way in light of what God has done for us. That's what he's getting at. Let's move on. He's going to help us some more, but in a, with a slightly different approach. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. Now that's a sermon series right there about false teachers, right? Which is not what he's getting at here. Even though it's a book dealing with false teachers. No one has ever seen God. How about if we do this? How about if we stop the sermon and we're going to pick up and finish next week because I don't want to have you here through your appointment at Jimmy John's. Um, and I want you to listen and I want you to be encouraged. And um, So, so that, that, that sermon's over. It's done. Um, terrible conclusion, I know. Um, in seminary, they would grade us on our sermons and they had like a hundred point checklist for everything and anything under the sun. And uh, so I, I, I would definitely get zeros on conclusion here. Um, No one has seen God at any time. 
today evangelicalism doesn't believe that. Maybe that's one reason why we have such a hard time acting like Christians and loving. Because see, what John is going to do is he's going to argue something every Christian knows is no one's ever seen God the Father. We all know that. And what he's going to argue is, but you say you love that God that you've never seen. But you can't love those who belong to God who you can see. Doesn't even make sense. So we'll talk about that next week. But for now, let's just pause for a moment in light of our other talks about false teachers. The Bible says no one has ever seen God. It says it multiple times. God the Father in particular is what he's getting at. Because this letter is about seeing the divine son who came here. No one's ever seen God. Joseph Smith, the 14-year-old lad, saw the father and the son and heard their voices. So far as the records indicate, this was the most glorious vision ever given to mortal man from LDS.org. Antichrist. Not even close to Christian. Not even close. Same vocabulary, different dictionary. I don't want to ask how many of you have read The Shack describing God the Father as a physical being. I know a big church that hands it out to help people. Antichrist. Classic heresy. God the Father has enormous wings. Blue eyes and yellow hair, says Colton Burpo. Heaven is for real. Classic anti-Christian heresy. Heaven is for real. But the book is anti-Christian heresy. What a way to end a morning talking about love. But in God's providence, I'm doing it on purpose. The book talks about antichrists, and there are many of them. False prophets. Truth and lies are not contrary to love. Because we have a book that exposes truth and lies, and like no other book in the Bible talks about love being a sign of true believers. Because true believers love the true God. And they love one another. And remember last week, the command from 1 John 4 is, do not believe every spirit. So part of what I want to do is help you to think and act like a Christian. And if we can get this sorted out, maybe we could be better actually at loving those who belong to God who we can see instead of talking about seeing and loving the God who we supposedly see, who we ain't ever seen. It's no wonder we're confused about the practical because we've all committed heresy in the theological. And if that's too much for you, 
Hang in there. It'll be okay. God is love. And He's shown His love for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And now if we belong to Him by faith, we're called to love each other as He has loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for First John, for all that it brings to us, whether it be talking about false prophets and spirits and antichrist and how Christians are to love one another and sacrificially meet one another's needs. We're grateful for that. Help us to not be confused and to be able to sort things out. Help us to be quick to share the gospel with people in a wise and careful way when they're misled by a world that is filled with false prophets. May we love one another and may it show in the way we carry ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.